Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. I pick up my Bible and I read like the book of Acts. Have you read the book of Acts in the New Testament? Like the birth of the church. And I read stories of incredibly ordinary women and men 2,000 years ago who were fed to the lions, who were thrown into the amphitheater, who were killed, who were stoned like Stephen. Like people picked up stones and they threw them at him until he died. And people like Paul who are, they're destroying Christians and they meet Jesus and then they are totally transformed. And I see in the pages of this book a bunch of people who are unstoppable. Like the early church who are unstoppable in the face of so much suffering and pain. And I think about Leah who is unstoppable in the face of such brutal treatment. And I look at my own life and I think, man alive, Rachel, you are so stoppable. <laughs> like it doesn't take much to stop me. I get shy. You might not think it because I've got a big mouth and a North London accent and I wear heels. But I get scared about what people think of me. Like in a space like this, I can feel really confident and then I get out and chat to my friends and I think, really, all this stuff, is it true? (laughs) Like I am painfully stoppable sometimes. And if I was really honest with you, it isn't my big questions of faith that give me that sense of, I don't know if I can do this, Jesus. It's when I come to him and say, Jesus, wait a minute, I thought I knew I thought I knew what it meant to follow you. I, I thought like the deal was that, that actually because you're God and you've got the job, that actually your job is to somehow make my life a bit easier. Like I know about this kind of like lay down your life and stuff, but like I'm being a really good girl right now. Come on, God, you owe me. Like you owe me some nice stuff. Why is life difficult? Why did that relationship end? Why can't I have kids? Why didn't I get that job? Why is this course terrible at college? It isn't necessarily the big questions and the big suffering. It's just when I feel that Jesus hasn't quite fulfilled his side of the bargain in making my life a little bit easier. Gosh, I'm being really honest with you tonight, but I wonder if any of you resonate with that, like you have this desire to be part of an unstoppable force like you see in the book of Acts, that when you look at your own life, like not to judge yourself, not to shame yourself, you just kind of go, it doesn't take much to stop me actually. I wonder what Jesus does with us in those situations because he is so beautiful and so brilliant. And do you remember that story where Peter is in the boat and realizes that it's Jesus, hello, walking on the water to him. And then Peter, being like you and me, is like, I want to do it. Like, I want to walk on the water. And so he gets out of the boat and then, of course, he sees the wave because, hello, nobody walks on water, definitely not Peter. And he begins to sink. And what is it that Jesus says to him? Come on, Peter, try harder. Like, have you forgotten who I am? No, that's not what Peter says, is it? That's not what Jesus says. He just takes him by the hand and he lifts him up. So we know 
We know that when we come to Jesus and say, I want to be part of this unstoppable force, like when we threw the airplanes, when Damien was doing that stuff, like, I want to be part of this all the time. We know that when we are honest and say, Jesus, but so often the littlest thing stops me. The littlest thing stops me talking to my friends about you. The littlest thing stops me trusting you. Jesus doesn't go, oh, I knew you'd let me down sooner or later. Like we know he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. We don't disappoint him. That's not how it works. But actually, he doesn't just say, oh, that's fine, don't worry. Like, there's some pretty challenging stuff that Jesus says. So if you've got your Bible, I would love you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to read this passage to you from the message version because I think it kind of really gets hold of the grit and the kind of the raw edge that Jesus is bringing with this. So this is Jesus who loves you, who knows you, who goes to the cross for you, who loves you and fights for you and has a plan for your life. And he also says this, get hold of what he says. So this is what Jesus says. So Matthew 16, 24 to 27. And the message version opens with this. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Like, whoa. So what is it that Jesus says? And he says this, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? It's like Jesus is laying down this line in the sand and saying, guys and girls, I just, I want to kind of speak straight to you. I need to tell you something. Following me is difficult. Following me will cost you everything that you know and that you have and that you thought brought you security and safety. Like, I'm not going to walk you away from trouble. I might actually walk you into trouble. Like, you might not get any more friends from following me. You might get less friends. But that's what I'm about. That's what it takes. Are you in? And it's really interesting, whenever you read a passage in the Bible, like, look around, what else has just been happening? And it's, it's like some crazy stuff. So what's been happening just before Jesus says this? Because he doesn't just suddenly go, oh, guys, by the way, come over here, I want to talk to you. Like, it always comes out of something real. So what it's come out of is that Jesus has taken his disciples basically to the dark side. He's walked them to a place called Caesarea Philippi, where there was all kinds of horrible occult practices happening. Like, if there was a place where you felt, whoa, nobody really worships God here, this is the place. And maybe you sometimes, some of you have been in places like that, where you just feel the evil. You just feel like there's not good stuff happening here. So Jesus has taken them there, and he stood them in front of this huge cliff face, like a huge cave, which would have been called the, the Gates of Hades. It was like a belief they had in the first century that you could enter hell like through an actual physical portal. 
And so Jesus is like literally standing them in front of the gates of hell. And then he says to them, who do you say that I am? And it, it's almost like, so I was like, like shh, shh, Jesus, don't ask that here. Like, people are listening. Like, the powers are listening. Like, evil's listening. And Jesus is like, hell yeah, I'm going to ask you that here. Like, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one that says, you are the Christ. Like, you are the master. And you can hear the demon shrieking. Like, they're going, no, we're going to take this guy down. And Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And the gates of hell will not stand up against you. So that's just happened. Like, that is outrageous. That is raw. That is real. This is life and death stuff. Jesus basically said to the powers that be, I am the new king. I'm the master. And Peter's backed that up. And then Jesus says to his disciples, you need to know that from now on, I'm heading in one direction. And that one direction is Jerusalem, and it's my death. I'm heading towards death. And Peter says... Nah, nah, that's not going to happen to you. That's That's not what happens to the Messiah, Jesus. I know what happens to the Messiah. He's victorious. He slays the Roman Empire. Like He starts this new revolution. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, shut up. Satan, get behind me. And that's when Jesus says, you need to know that if you want to follow me, you've got to come and do what I'm about to do. You've got to pick up your cross and you've got to follow me. You've got to lay all this stuff down. Like, friends, this is tough teaching, isn't it? Like, I don't know that I've got a coloring sheet for Sunday school about picking up your cross and giving up your life. Like, they don't do coloring sheets like that. This is tough stuff. Jesus is saying, you've got what it takes to follow me. I'm going to be in your corner from now into all eternity, but I'm not going to pretend with you. I'm not going to pretend this is a bed of roses. I'm not going to pretend this is lifestyle enhancement stuff. I'm not going to pretend this is some weird kind of positive thinking where everything's good and you float above the planet. No, this stuff is tough. Like if you follow me, it will take everything. So Jesus' response So our fear of being stoppable is this, be 10% terrified. When it comes to God, be 10% terrified. Now, hear me when I say this. I am not saying that God is like some weird, evil professor that just wants to get you and he just wants to kind of zap you for your horrible sin and he wants to just do bad stuff. I'm not saying that kind of thing. This is not where we are scared that we don't know what somebody might do. When I say be 10% terrified, what I'm talking about is who is God? Like who is it that we're following? Who is Christ? Who is he? He's God and he's got the job. Years and years and years ago, my friend Trey Shepard is here. It's just so lovely. I think Tori might be here somewhere as well. It's so lovely to, be, to see them today. And Trey's preaching tomorrow. Oh, you've been for a treat tomorrow. And when I came to their church years ago, and we just adopted Daisy. Um, oh, she was about three, actually. We'd had her for about a year. And um, my daughter Daisy is a little bit like me. She sort of picked up some of my mannerisms. And Daisy doesn't talk she announces. In fact, she's still quite like that. Like the other day, she's seven. She came downstairs and she said to me, Mummy, 
who is the best mummy in the world? And I was like gearing up for, she's about to tell me it's me. So I was like, I don't know, Daisy. Who is the best mummy in the world? She's like, oh no, I just, I just really would like to know. <laughs> and I'm like, hello, me. So we came to Northern Ireland and um, we were walking um, around the, the North Coast, Causeway Vineyard, we were up there, and it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Like, I come from North London, where like, live, livestock is like chicken bones, and like, oh, horrible stuff, and rats. We had rats that die on our street like this. And the kids are like, woohoo, there's another rat, it's dead. This is horrible where we live. So Dave's like, whoa, what is this? It's the sea. And it was, there was this dog barking behind a gate, and Daisy stood in front of the gate, age three, and said to the dog, dog, I want to play with you, but I don't understand you. It's <laughs> beautiful. So beautiful. Okay, so her and I go for a walk along the seafront, and the wind is like howling a gale. It's mad, crazy. So being a good mom, I'm like, I'm standing in front of her, protecting her from the storm, shouting at my three-year-old, this is how God defends you, Daisy. He stands in front of you, and he blocks the storm, and she's like, what, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's a prophetic act, showing my child how God protects us. And then I suddenly had a moment of enlightenment. I went, wait a minute, sometimes God is the storm. God is the storm. He is the all-powerful God. Like, he can do whatever he wants to do. Like, he is in control of everything. If he wanted to wrap up the planet right now, he could do it just with a word. So I thought, I better teach her that as well. So I jumped out of her way like that. And she's like, and I'm saying, Daisy, sometimes God is the storm. And she was like, what? What? Can you still hear me? We're just having a bit of a technical malfunction and a wardrobe malfunction here. I might need some woman, not man, to come and sort this out with me. <laughs> if there's anybody nearby to come and sort it out. Fantastic. 10% terrified of God. Jacob in the Old Testament wrestled with God. Do you know that story? So Jacob is waiting to meet his brother Esau. And that night, he sends ahead of him his wives, yes, more than one, his livestock, basically in front of him as a peace offering to his brother who wants to kill him. And he's on his own. And it says in the Bible that all night, Jacob wrestles with God. And in the morning, uh, he says to this being that he's wrestling with, who are you? And he realizes it's God. And he realizes it's God when? When does Jacob realize that the person he's wrestling with is God? It's when this being that he is fighting with, with a finger, touches Jacob's hip. And his hip is suddenly thrown out of joint. And Jacob goes, oh, if you can dislocate my hip just with your finger... You could have destroyed me last night. Like, you are God. You could have destroyed me. And in that moment, he is overcome by this word that we don't hear very often. By this word, this three-letter word, beginning with A, ending with E, and with W in the middle. Turn to the person next to you. What is the word that I've just spelt? Beginning with A, ending with E, W in the middle. Oh, yes, oh. Oh. Brilliant, oh. Look back this way. Look back this way. You are absolutely right. He is overcome with awe. 
And that feeling of awe, have you ever felt that feeling of awe? Because let me tell you something, it doesn't feel like this. Wow, wow, that's so cool. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like this. Oh my days, there actually is a God. It's that kind of 10% terror. My friend called me in the middle of the night because he woke up and his wife told him some devastating news about an affair that she'd been having for 20 years in their marriage. And the shame and the pain of it got so much that in the middle of the night, one night, she just had to tell him. And once she told her loving, committed, faithful husband that for the past 20 years she'd been having an affair, she literally said to herself, I can now die. She's my age. She was literally saying to herself, I can now die. Like this shame and this pain is going to destroy me. There's no way that he will forgive me. There's no way that God will forgive me. There's no way that I can come back from this. So she literally told him. And then it was like she began to die. And so her husband, who's also my friend, rang me in the middle like, Rachel, you've got to come around. Like, I don't know what's happening, but she's just told me some devastating news. But it's also, it looks like she's dying. And I was like, what? Like, I saw her yesterday. She's fine. So I went around in the middle of the night. And there she is in bed. He told me what she'd said. He was just distraught, but he was, couldn't believe what was going on, and she was lying there, and I've never seen a dead body, personally, I've seen it on like TV and stuff, but honestly, I, in that space, I thought, she is actually dying, she is about to die, like this sin, this shame, this pain, is riddling her body, she is about to die, and I didn't know what to do, I did not know what to do in the face of that suffering, and that evil, and that pain that she's been through, and the choices that she's made, I'm not shaming her, but I'm telling you about the reality of what it went through. She's given me permission to say this. So in that moment, I just said to her husband, we have got to pray. We've got to stand and stare in the gates of hell and say, you're not having her. You are not taking her. Like what she has been through and won, some of the choices she's made are appalling, but she does not belong to you, hell. She does not belong to you, death. She belongs to Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus, you be glorified. And we just prayed that. We just prayed that and we prayed that. And then I felt the awe because God literally brought her back to life. And do you know my reaction to her husband was like, oh my days, there is a God. Like, I know we've been praying and I know I preach this stuff, but actually, like, did you see what happened then? Like, actually, God actually did something. Like, whoa, maybe we should become Christians. Like, this stuff is real. Like, that is all where you're just like, man, like, what happened there? God, what went on there? Like, only you could do that. Be 10% terrified. Why? Why should we fear God? Why should we be hungry for that sense of awe? Well, here are three thoughts for you. Number one, because when we fear God, we fear nothing and no one else. When we fear God, we fear nothing and no one else. Like in that moment, praying for my friend, in other subsequent moments, praying with young people and saying, God, you are the master here. You have your way. There's something in me that wants to do this to the enemy. Back off. I hate you. Go away. Go back to hell. Like God is what I get like this really feisty like thing in me. I'm like, I'm on God's side. Like 
he's one. You back off. You shut up. You go back where you came from. And when I say enemy, you know I'm talking about Satan, don't you? I'm not actually screaming that at a real person. There's that brilliant song that we sang this morning about how deep the Father's love for us. I will not boast in anything apart from Christ. Like, I get really boastful about Jesus. Like, you see, Jesus, I'm with him. Like, the more we fear God, not in a kind of, ah, he's out to get me. I need to be a good boy or a good girl. I'm not saying that. But the more we say, God, you are amazing, Like, I'm overcome by how amazing you are. Do you know what happens? The less we fear other people. Now, hear me on this, friends. I still battle with anxiety. I sometimes get panic attacks. Like, there are many times I have to bring my anxiety to Jesus. So when I say fear God and fear nothing else, I'm not saying we fear God and then we don't worry about anything. I'm not saying that. I have to regularly bring my anxious thoughts to God. But what I'm saying is it's a shift in perspective. And we see that in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, this guy, Stephen, was stoned to death. And I'm going to read this little bit to you because I just, I just find this amazing. This is what I'm talking about, about fearing God and fearing no one else. Listen to these words from Acts chapter 7. So at that point, so Stephen is preaching about how amazing Jesus is. And the rioting mob, they, um, and at that point, they went wild. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. They picked up stones, they dragged him out of town, and they pelted him with rocks. But, but Stephen only had eyes for God. He said, oh, I see heaven wide and the Son of Man standing at God's side. And as the rocks rained down and Saul is watching on, Saul is yet to be rescued by Jesus and becomes Paul. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed this, Jesus, take my life. Don't blame them for this sin. His last words. And then he died. Like Stephen is basically saying, I'm about to die. But what of it? I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus and he is beautiful. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah, let's clap Stephen. (laughs) He's in glory. And, you know, is Stephen stood there going, oh, this is fine, this doesn't hurt, these rocks are bouncing off me like polystyrene. No, this is really happening. But in that moment, for Stephen, he sees Jesus, the glory of Jesus. He catches a glimpse of who it is he's given his life for. And in that moment, Stephen says, do you know what of it? What of it? If I'm alive, if I'm dead, I'm with Christ." So fear God and we fear nothing else. Second one, fear God and we find the awesome in every day. Like imagine you got to spend a whole day with the person you most fangirl about or boy crush or whatever the expression would be. Like who's your hero or heroine? Like that one person, for me it's Michelle Obama. Like if I spent, if Michelle Obama came to North Harrow and did my Tesco shopping with me and pop song to Costa and did the school run, like those things are dead boring. I do them every day. But if Michelle Obama's doing them with me, that's amazing. Like the fruit aisle is transformed because I've got Michelle Obama. Like, I'll go and use my contactless card. I got Michelle Obama. Like, I'm going to the school run. Hello, Michelle Obama. Like, every day is transformed because who I'm with, I'm slightly terrified of. 
Like, I want to be with her, but she slightly scares me. She's a Michelle Obama. And the Psalms are full of that. It's King David saying, God, you are so awesome. You are so terrifying in your power. You are so amazing. And and look at this life that you've given me. I love Radio 2 because I'm an old lady. And when Chris Evans was on Radio 2, I used to love it that he'd do like, welcome to planet Earth for another day, another day on planet Earth. Like, friends, that should be us. Another day on planet Earth to live this life in awe of the King of Kings. Like, what might God want to do with your life today? Fear God and find the awesome in every day. And the third thing, fear God and find yourself. Fear God and find who you truly are are made to be. Did you hear it in in what Jesus was saying? Let me read some of those words again. Follow me. This is Matthew 16. I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. There's a powerful story in the Old Testament where somebody did this. They found who they were and their calling and their destiny all in the same moment. And it was a moment drenched in terrifying awe of who God is and what he could do. It's Moses. And Moses has killed a man and escaped to the desert and he gets married and he tends sheep. And then God meets him in this outrageous encounter of a burning bush. Moses sees this bush that is burning and not like just being destroyed. It just keeps burning. And as he gets closer and closer and closer, a voice from the bush, which is God's voice, says, Moses, Moses. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know if God talks like that. But um, (laughs) we really find heaven. God has a really high voice. (laughs) We're like, oh, we want a really low voice. Um, And God says to Moses, Moses, take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. And it's just normal ground. Like, it's not being consecrated by priests. It's not a church. It's not an altar. It's just bog-standard mud and dirt and earth. But God is there. And the moment God is anywhere, he transforms it into holy ground. Now, why do you think God asked Moses to take off his shoes? Did he not like Moses' choice of footwear that morning? Like, what was going on? Why did he have to take his shoes off? Well, there's an amazing theologian who came up with this conclusion. I love it. And I think it rings true. She said this. When Moses was alive, the chances are that the shoes that he was wearing was dead animal skin. Like, the, my shoes are like synthetic, probably, and plastics and all that kind of stuff, so I need to watch where I buy my shoes from. But um, what Moses was wearing probably was dead animal hide wrapped around his feet. And God is saying to Moses, don't stand before me in anybody else's skin but your own. Like, you stand before me in your own skin. Yeah. It rings true, doesn't it? 
And, and this is holy ground, not because it makes us holier than thou. And those kind of people that hold a big Bible and never do anything and like never go to parties and hide away and float above the ground. No, for God, holiness is the kind of down in the dirt raw. God is here. You are here. Let's do business. It's real life. Holiness for God is how close can he get to you? How close can he get to you? How close can you get to him? And he says, Moses, take your shoes off. Stand in your own skin before me. I suddenly am going to be a lot shorter. (laughs) Because there's something about taking your shoes off. Like you feel automatically a lot more vulnerable I do. I'm feeling suddenly a lot more vulnerable here in front of you. Imagine doing that in front of God. Like saying, God, I'm going to strip away any idea I have of whom I should be and what my life should be. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to self-define. I'm going to stop trying to stick myself in boxes and all the confusion. I'm kind of going to own the fact that I'm here and this is my skin. And I just want to come before you as I am. And I want to acknowledge, God, that when I come before you, you're not Father Christmas there to make all my wishes come true. Like, you are the king of the universe. You are the great God who could just, with one click of your fingers, end my life. And yet, actually, what you do instead is you say, I want to invade your life. Like, I want you to give me your life so that you and I together, we can go and heal this world one heart at a time. I want you part of my mission. I want you whole so that you can live free. But you've got to come and stand before me in your own skin. You've got to recognize who I am. You've got to recognize that being part of my family means that you pick up your cross. You've got to recognize this will cost you. No one else can make this decision for you. No one else can stand in front of God in your skin for you. You have to do that yourself. And this is a heavy word, isn't it? Because what do we do with this? I think we have some choices, don't we? We either say, I'm not ready for this yet. This is not quite what I bought into. And that's, friends, that's okay. But actually, there might be many of us tonight saying, do you know what? I need to level up. (laughs) I think that's like a computer game term, isn't it? One of the boys in my youth group said, just say level up, Rachel. They'll know what you're talking about. I was like, it didn't work because I said level up. And you were like, what? Like, I just need to go somewhere this. Like, I've been plateauing in my faith. Like, I've grown up in a Christian family. I'm part of a brilliant church. But there's something in me that's just restless for more. And friends, let me tell you, where it starts is you getting 10% terrified. 10% terrified, recognizing who this is in front of you. So I want to invite us to respond to God however you want to. And I'm not going to ask the band up. I'm just going to ask just that we just sit here quietly. Because this is so serious and beautiful and personal between you and God. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. In a minute, I'm going to get down, on, down here in the mud, and I'm going to kneel down in the mud, and I'm going to get my feet all dirty. Because when I read about Moses standing in front of the bush with no shoes, and when I hear about Leah saying, I'm not going to reject you, Jesus, when I hear about 
that beautiful Korean woman starting a church in a toilet of a concentration camp, something in me says, God, bring the awe. Like, let me see you for who you are so that I'm less afraid and I'm more rightly terrified and I just surrender this life to you and you can do whatever you want in my life. So I'm gonna kneel down here and all I'm gonna say to you is this. It's gonna be quiet and I'm not gonna say another invitation. The moment I'm down there, I'm not gonna say anything else. I'm gonna hold the silence. But if you want to also come join me and kneel down or go to the sides and kneel down as your act of saying, God, just I wanna be 10% more terrified. I wanna have that right relationship with you. I wanna know your glory. I wanna be aware of your holiness. Not so that I live in fear of you, but so that I know that you are the one who is king of all and lord of all and I want to surrender everything to you come and kneel and it might be that you also want to take your shoes off because it feels uncomfortable and it's only what you can do but it's your way of saying God I want to stand or kneel before you as I am does that sound okay so I'm not going to do any more invitation I'm just going to get down in a minute and if you want to join me you are so welcome and after a little while Damien and Hannah and the band will come and join us so you can feel totally confident that this has not all gone to craziness (laughs) but we're going to wait on God and see what he wants to do does that sound okay do I have your permission to do that and if you're more comfortable staying in your seat you stay there but if you want to come and join me you come join me so let me pray And then I'm going to get on the floor and you can join me if you want to. God, you are awe-inspiring. Sometimes the things that we read in the Bible are just, they get us because they're so challenging and they're so true. And you say very clearly, Jesus, that, that following you really costs, it at times might hurt, not because you want us to hurt ourselves, but because it means living life differently and going against the flow and saying that we belong to you even if that puts our lives in danger. Jesus, you are so worth it. (laughs) You are so powerful, you're so beautiful, you're everything that we ever need and you invite us so wonderfully to come and experience this life with you. But you're honest enough to tell us that if it was suffering for you, it would be suffering for us too. God, we don't wish pain on ourselves and we don't wish suffering on ourselves, but Jesus, we want to follow you in all things. We want to honor you in all things. And Jesus, in a minute, I'm going to jump down and get on my knees because I just need tonight to be reminded that you are in charge and I'm not. That you have all the answers and I don't. That you can save me and I can't save myself. That you are the hope of the world. That you are the light in the darkness. That you are the peace in my chaos. Thank you that you are here, holy, holy God, awesome, awesome God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Word on the Go. For more information about the festival or to contact us, 
please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.